Hello and welcome to the EMG Health Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jonathan Sakia. You know, I think in many ways, I'm the luckiest man on the planet. I get to meet so many fascinating people from all walks of life, and many become friends. Of course, for this podcast, my brief is to share stories about the life sciences with you, and most of my guests are therefore clinicians, researchers, or have a long history working in the field. Sometimes they are so much more. Today, we have one such person. He's a great friend of mine. We've shared all sorts of highs and lows, and he's proven to be a fine man above all else and a darn good friend. Some listeners will know that Mike Einziger is the co-founder and blistering lead guitarist for multi-million album-selling rock band Incubus, a group that he co-started with his high school buddies aged 15. And it's the same core lineup today, and they signed to a major label, I think it was 25 years ago. Some will know Mike as a producer and songwriter who's collaborated with many people, including Pharrell Williams, movie score writer Hans Zimmer, Skrillex, Tyler the Creator, and Steve Martin, who, by the way, is a darn fine musician, as well as being a very, very funny man. In 2013, Mike co-wrote Wake Me Up, which sold a gazillion copies around the world. I think that's a real number, a gazillion. Not bad for a man who's a self-taught musician who started with piano and drums and only picked up the guitar at age 12 and is yet now rated as one of the world's best guitarists. Mike met and married the very talented and beautiful Anne-Marie, who'd been my daughter's violin teacher. Anne-Marie is a very successful performer and writer in her own right. She's created some of the most iconic movie scores in recent times. Mike and Anne-Marie have three gorgeous children. When not filling his role as an international music superstar, being with his family or surfing in his native California, Mike has some, well, some other activities that will explain why he's our guest today. Because all this sounds pretty much like more than one person should have in their life. As you'll hear, it's not even scratching the surface of this incredibly smart and utterly charming man who I'm proud to call my friend, Mike Einziger. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's really a pleasure. And uh, I must say, after that massive windup, I hope I'm able to, <laughs> I hope I'm able to be as impressive as you've described me. My dear chap, anyone who's been to one of your concerts, listens to the albums, and as they're going to hear some of the things that you're working on at the moment, you're a pretty phenomenal chap. But look, we're going to address the science stuff shortly. And as you know, Mike, this podcast is distributed by EMG to their massive global audience of doctors. But many other folks listening who are not doctors, and I'm guessing that we may have a few Incubus fans downloading and popping in their earbuds. So Talk to us a little bit about how you got your start as a musician. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really went back to my childhood. My uh, my mom was a children's music teacher uh, when I was a little kid. So I would go along with her and uh, she, she actually worked for the Los Angeles Philharmonic. They had a program where she would drive this van around to different preschools and bring all of these different musical instruments and she would teach all the young kids about musical instruments and I was sort of like her little helper and uh, I just you know I became fascinated with music just because I guess I was sort of surrounded by it 
And as I got a little older and started forming my own opinions about music, um, I found that I wanted to play it. <laughs> and so um, I'd kind of picked up piano at a really early age by my mom playing piano. She is a piano player. And my other members of my family were also playing as well. And then by the time I, by the time I was about 12, um, was when I really got guitar. I had been playing drums as well before that, but, uh, you know, I got really into, into all the sort of seminal rock music, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and Black Sabbath. I really, really got into music at that time and, um, and started, started playing and writing my own songs. And then, you know, just a few years after that started the band Incubus with my friends that, uh, I went to school with. Yeah. All in, in Southern California, right? Yeah, in a in a suburb of LA called Calabasas, California, which has now sort of been put on the map by Kardashians and other famous people. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very quiet little sleepy bedroom town, you know, when when I was a kid. It it was nothing like what it is today. Yeah, I think we'll leave that stuff to the side. So, um I know that you're involved in every element of music, writing, recording, producing, touring. What are the things that give you the most joy? And by the way, just want to throw something out. I went to one of your shows, I think it was in Philadelphia, and you were as sick as it's possible for a person to be, and yet the show still went on. You were a real performer, a real trooper. <laughs> I'm guessing you love touring, but, but what else? I mean, you know, touring is incredible. The older I get, <laughs> the it's very tiring. Touring is tiring, but the actual act of playing music in front of people, you know, playing concerts is uh, pretty incredible. And I really appreciate it. The further I get into my career, you know, as I age, hopefully gracefully, I, um, I, I just appreciate the uh, opportunity that, you know, we're in front of tens of thousands of people playing songs that, that we wrote and people are singing them and people love that music and they really connect with it. So it, it, it's just such an honor to be able to do that. I can't remember if I discussed it with you or another musician friend that, you know, in my career as a surgeon, if I operated at full tilt all the way through, I might be able to touch, I don't know, 50,000 lives over the course of an entire career. You can touch that in a night. You know what? Think about it this way, Jonathan. Every person that you operated on, every live that you help as a physician, there's a networking effect that happens and you touch millions and millions and millions of people. We need everyone, you know, we need all the doctors and we need all the musicians and, and uh, you know, we, we all make the world go around, right? Yeah, well, I always finish off with a specific question. We'll come on to what makes the world go around at the end. But I'd like to take you through a couple of career things. So in 2007, you developed carpal tunnel syndrome and you required surgery and therefore had to take a break from your guitar. And I know that you composed an orchestral piece, which I've listened to, it's, and it's awesome. Talk to us about the inspiration and the elements that were involved in that, including typewriters and a rather hypnotic instrument called the theremin, which one plays <laughs> by not touching it. I was actually, well, after you told me about it, I went and read up all about it. It's fascinating. I've been traveling and, and touring up until that point for quite a while, probably, you know, close to 20 years at that point. I overused my wrist to the point where I damaged, um, I damaged the carpal tunnel and had to have surgery. And it was actually just, it, it was excruciating. I was in so much pain and I had to take some time off from touring, some time off from even touching or playing a guitar. 
and I had to figure out what I was going to do while, you know, while unable to, to play music like that, which I'd grown so accustomed to, you know, most of my life. So I had one hand, so I, I started taking piano lessons and just kind of learning about uh, music theory and composition in the academic sense, which I had never done before. Um, I was really a self-taught musician um, and played just by ear, you know, by listening. And, and I still believe that's vital to, to making music. I started working with a, a teacher and it just kind of hit me, you know, how big music is, how, how, how many different things it can be, how far reaching it can be. And I kind of felt a little boxed in, like, you know, I'm playing in this rock band and there's just so much else out there that I could explore. So, so I just started writing music for lots of different people, you know, lots of different instruments. And I started collaborating with an old friend of mine uh, named Suzy Katsuyama, who, you know, is uh, an incredible uh, film composer and writer. And um, she worked on some of the orchestral, uh, we, we did some arrangements for various uh, Incubus recordings and concerts in the past. So I kind of brought her in to help me. And um, yeah, I ended up writing, you know, this piece that's about 45 minutes long. It's called End Vacuum. And we, we performed it at uh, UCLA's Royce Hall, which is a really beautiful historic LA music venue and um big orchestras about 80 people and there were some really interesting visuals and it, it was just a, a really inspiring really interesting thing for me to do at that point in my life i just had never done anything like that before and uh it was a it was a pretty a pretty intense <laughs> undertaking um but it was really fun you know it's kind of like just diving into the deep end of a of a of a swimming pool and learning how to swim just by necessity. I just adapted to that situation and it was a lot of fun. I, re I really enjoyed it. It was terrifying though. Well, I commend everyone to listen to it and, you know, continuing the theme of taking a turn on an otherwise linear career path. Shortly after that period, you took a complete break from music and you went off to a little known university. So tell us about your time at Harvard <laughs> and what you studied <laughs> and how it impacted you. It was actually right after having this experience writing this piece of music that performed at UCLA. It kind of went along the same theme, which was that I just felt like there was there had to have been so much more for me to to learn in the world. You know, after touring for all those years and, you know, writing and recording albums, which is a huge privilege to be able to do that. And I'm not complaining about it. I just I just felt like there's just gotta be other there just have to be other things that are interesting in the world for me to learn about, you know? So I, um, I ended up at Harvard of all places. Um, and I kind of immersed myself in academics, which I just hadn't really done in, especially with respect to music. And, um, you know, it'd been a long time since I'd been in a classroom. So, but it was really there that I sort of laid the scientific foundation for what I would be doing today, which is what I'm doing today, which I guess we're going to talk about later. But, um, you know, I studied history of physics. I studied human evolutionary biology. I just loved it. It was it was just such a time of expansion for me in my, in my life, just creatively and, and intellectually. You know, I was I was a 30 something. I was in my early 30s when I was there. And so all, all the other students around me were they were young, you know, late teenagers, <laughs> early 20 somethings. And um, 
I think they all just thought I was crazy because of how how excited I was to be there and how um, deeply I wanted to be learning. And, you know, I met and maintained amazing relationships with my professors. Um, I really feel like I got so much from that experience being sort of an adult already that I just could not have gotten, I think, if I were younger and having that experience. I, I mean, I'm still in touch with uh, most of my professors even today, 15 years later. It, it was one of the most important experiences of my life being there. You know, it certainly has informed, as we're going to come on to, the way you think about problems and solving them. So let's start with the first example. So anyone's gone to a rock concert knows that the sound quality varies around the venue and that musicians like you wear a little device in your ear, which not, not only protects your ears, but also gives you just the right blend of all the instruments so that you can all be in sync. You weren't happy with the way things were. And you developed something. Tell the folks about a company you started called Mix Halo and it, how Mix Halo is helping to make lives better. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We, um, you know, all of us artists who are on stage uh, performing and playing concerts, we're all wearing headphones while we're performing. For the, for the most part, I'd say 99% of artists are wearing headphones. And we've been doing this for a long time. Um, I started wearing headphones on stage during performances in about the year 2000. So, you know, it's been 22 years. I just had the thought that it would just be a different experience for people if they could wear headphones and sort of hear kind of like what we're hearing. Um, and the reason why we do that, the reason why we wear headphones is number one, so that we can hear ourselves. So if I'm a guitar player, if I'm a singer, I need to be able to hear what I'm doing. Um, which is really difficult in large venues, and um, especially if you're a singer as well. And so what that does is it enables us to be able to hear sort of only what we want to be able to hear and also allows us to utilize all of the modern technological tools that we have for controlling sound. I mean, it's incredible now, uh, the amount of technology and, and power in just an iPhone or an iPad even um, but in these, you know, mixing consoles, it's incredible what you can do to sound. And so if you can mix it and put it in headphones, I mean, it can sound like, you know, album quality, studio quality. So, you know, the idea is uh, with Mix Halo is not that it's, you know, supposed to replace the experience of going to a concert. It's just supposed to enhance it and offer sort of a different perspective. If you envision it, it could be like you're, you know, say you're, you're at a Beyonce concert um, and you're in a nosebleed section of a stadium where there are, you know, 85,000 people, you know, Beyonce could whisper your name into the microphone and you'd be able to hear her over those 80,000 people, like no problem. Like she's talking right into your ear. And that kind of demonstrates, I think, the power of the concept. Imagine going to see somebody speak at a, you know, a political rally or any sort of, or a, or a comedian, uh, somebody that you really, really want to hear every breath, every every nuance. Um, this technology that we've developed enables that. It, it eliminates all of the physical problems of loudspeakers blasting sound into the air. And also the other aspect of it, too, is that it allows for people to really protect their hearing, which is ultimately why us artists, why we are on stage using headphones in the first place is so we can hear ourselves, but also it saves our hearing. We can listen at a volume that's reasonable and comfortable for us. Um, so that's really, you know, a long-winded way of explaining what Mix Halo is. How'd I do? <laughs> 
tell people about its deployment? Will it be coming to a concert near them soon? Yeah, the company uh, luckily made it through the pandemic. I suppose we're not fully out of the woods yet with this pandemic, but, um, you know, to be a, a networking technology company for live events during a period of time where there are not li- where there are no live events um, was challenging, but uh, we made it through. And the press just came out a couple of days ago. You know, we just raised twenty four million dollars for the company. Just closed a Series B round of funding, and um, the company is growing really quickly now. And we're working with all sorts of you know sports teams for adding uh, color commentary and additional content at sporting events in real time. That's another really great application of the technology. Yeah, we're just expanding really quickly and we're in a lot of different venues, um, you know, mostly in the US, but hopefully we'll be expanding uh, internationally, um, you know, in the coming year. And uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, I did invest in your company. I would invest in anything you do, Mike. I'm just, uh, I'm in total awe. I'd now like to get on to the topic I'm really excited to share with, with everyone. I've also got some ownership and interest in, in that enterprise, and it's just important to be transparent. So anything I say is taken up with that, that optic. So I want to take you back to a Sunday morning a few years back when you called me together with Anne-Marie to ask me some questions about discovery you guys had made. Tell our listeners the story. It's a great story. <laughs> so... Yeah, several years ago, Anne Marie was in India, and you know she she used to do a lot of work with a really incredible Indian composer named A. R. Rahman, who is just a, a a treasure. He's just an amazing human being and um, an incredible, incredible composer. And she would go there to India and play these massive concerts with him for like you know two hundred thousand people in a field, <laughs> um, and uh, and it, which is such an honor for her to go and do that because. The musicians in India, I don't think I don't think anyone will argue the musicians in India are just they're just the best musicians on earth. I, I mean, it's just incredible what they do. Um, so for Anne Marie to be invited to go and play with that crew, especially with A. R. Rahman and his troop of insanely talented musicians, is just a, a a wonder. And so, anyways, she used to go there. She noticed that she had some patches of skin on her back that had turned white. And um, it, it was sort of alarming to her at first because she didn't know what it was. And um, it turned out to be a skin condition called Tinea versicolor, uh, which is one of the most common skin conditions on Earth. The end result with this condition is that it, it can impact skin pigmentation. It, it can lighten the skin in certain circumstances, but it can also darken the skin in other circumstances. And in this particular circumstance, Anne-Marie noticed lightened patches of skin on her back and and sort of asked me the question how does this work you know how is this skin condition causing changes to happen in you know essentially the color of my skin and we we both kind of became fascinated with this because it's a harmless condition it doesn't it doesn't cause any any permanent maleffect to the body um while you know, it's unsightly, it's annoying, people want to get rid of it. But it's it, other than sort of an aesthetic issue, it's, it's not a, a, a problem for your body. So, um, you know, Anne Marie was just sort of posing the question, what, what could be causing these changes in pigmentation that are reversible and harmless? 
and you know could could we figure out how these changes occur and perhaps leverage uh, whatever is causing those changes into some sort of product or or some um, some treatment that could help people who have problems with pigmentation that you know that they're trying to improve. We had no idea how to do that, by the way. Like we we just we identified this problem and there didn't seem to be an answer that we could find anywhere. Well, let's take people through the the process. So on that phone call, you said to me, you asked me if, and I, I can still hear Anne-Marie's voice in, in my head. She was sort of whispering at you in the background because um, for people's benefits, she, she's just an utter delight. You're both such lovely people. But you asked me if I could identify and extract the active compound, could I synthesize it and test it? And I said, I would not know where to start, but I knew people who did. Can you explain the process to build the right team? It's not just about skill sets or knowledge, is it? It's rather like a band. So many bands break up because of personality issues. It's the chance to disagree, but not be disagreeable. You've done an amazing job assembling a stellar team. Talk to us a little bit about teamwork in this uh, circumstance. I mean, being in a band, I didn't know it when I was doing this when I was 15 years old, but starting a band and building uh, a career, it's, it's no different from, uh, than building any other company or, you know, business venture. You're building a superhero. You know, I used to watch this, uh, this cartoon when I was a really little kid called Voltron. And it was, you know, all these different robots, um, that were like these superheroes and they would all combine to form one massive robot superhero. And it's kind of the same principle, you know, when you're starting a band, you're looking for, you know, the best bass player, the best guitar player, the best singer, the best drummer. Um, and when I say best, it's like, that's like a word that you use when you're a kid, you know, to the best person on earth speaking in, in hyper hyperbole. But, but when you're forming a team, you really do want to find all of these people with superpowers that can, that can really help you um, answer a question or solve a problem or a series of them and get you to where you want to go. And, and it's really the same thing. It's like starting a band. And, um, you know, when Jonathan, when I first came to you and asked you about this, and Maria and I were trying to figure out like, okay, who do we talk to about this? Neither of us had any experience building a venture in, you know, in biotechnology, in, you know, the world of medicine in any way, shape or form. So you were somebody from our perspective who was a great connector. You seem to know a lot of different people, but also, um, you know, pretty smart yourself. So we we called you and and wanted to know what to do. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, um, you said, well, I know a few people who know a thing or two about, uh, about this. And, um, and you put us in touch, uh, with, uh, Tim McDonald, you know, who's an old friend of yours. And, um, and that was kind of where we started with the four of us. And, um, I've learned so much from him over the years, but, um, in the beginning of that process, you know, sitting down and, and talking through, uh, some of the, the chemistry aspects of what we were trying to do and, just the process for how we would figure out what is what is causing these changes and what are the questions we're trying to answer and how do we answer them and putting together a scientific program that would get us those answers. I'd never done anything like that. And so that, that was really the beginning of a discovery process for me that um, is still just <laughs> kind of raging today. <laughs> In that process, 
the science to prove that we had something and that it was safe and effective was extensive. And you and Anne-Marie are astonishingly fast learners. And I'm, I'm not blowing smoke here. I call you citizen scientists. You have this profound curiosity, clear thinking that's unencumbered by prior experiences and humility. But you've really helped drive this process insofar as even designing molecules. I know that the other folks involved likewise think so highly of, of both of you guys. Tell everyone about the steps that, that we had to go through to develop this and the contributions of some of the folks like, like Pearl, you've mentioned Tim, Bob. There's just a great crew of people. I don't know if I should mention their names, but uh, folks, you know who you are out there. So, yeah, talk to us <laughs> a little bit about the different steps, Mike. Very early on, we didn't have so, so much a clear direction of what we were doing other than to answer a few questions about, uh, you know, how we thought pigmentation changes in the skin may be happening as a result of this reversible skin condition called Tinea Versicolor. And um, so at a certain point, we knew we needed to be collaborating with a dermatologist. So we met um, Dr. Pearl Grimes. Uh, who spent her career in pigmentation. And, you know, as soon as we met her, I think that's when we really kind of started accelerating our program because working with someone like Pearl gave us really uh, access to a patient base and uh, uh, sort of research facilities and personnel that we had never had access to before. And also a, a set of expertise that that was just perfectly... Um, suited for what we were trying to accomplish. You know, we, we put some clinical trials together and, um, and started testing out uh, various molecules and compounds and formulating them and, and getting really, really interesting uh, results that were compelling. I'm sure I skipped a few steps in there, but, um, you know, Tim McDonald and, uh, you know, our other team members, uh, Tim McCraw, Edna Coriel, uh, Murali Duvuri, we've got this sort of really great team of people with backgrounds in medicinal chemistry, translational uh, immunology. I mean, we've gone really deep, <laughs> at least deep from my perspective. Oh, no, let me, let, let me tell you something, bottom of the ocean deep, the quality of the science. And I've also, I've also told you that um, things have gone extremely well, and it's not normal when you have a new development for every single question you ask with an experiment for it to go the way you expect it to, but maybe you've got the Midas touch. So with all the science, it was all looking incredible. It's a range of cosmetic products. Share with folks what the plans are for this, your first biotechnology enterprise. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, we, we, we were just trying to answer some questions at first. Um, and then when we, we got to a point where we felt like we had at least, you know, learned some clues that would help us. Um, we kind of branched off into two different directions that are somewhat related, but also totally separate from each other. We learned that we could formulate a compound into, you know, a product that could improve issues, pigmentation, and also other skin aging related uh, issues. That was kind of the big takeaway for us is that we we just we learned some very very interesting things about the the technology we've been developing that we were not expecting to learn. On one end of the spectrum, we're developing uh, consumer skincare products to, you know, reverse the effects of of aging, of skin aging, and also uh, damage 
caused by skin aging. Uh, but then uh, on the far other end of the spectrum, uh, we've also been able to develop some compounds that uh, we were able to sort of manipulate and increase certain desired biological activities along with them, along with those manipulations. Um, and so we're developing several of those compounds uh, into drugs uh, to treat inflammatory diseases. And that aspect of this is something that was unexpected and also incredibly fascinating and also feels very much like the early stages of when I started a band because it's like, you know, you get around people that know that that are experienced and they all tell you like, don't, don't bark up this tree. Uh, the chances of you succeeding are zero. Um, and you know, it's too hard and that's why most people don't succeed. Um, but you know, call me crazy, call me stupid, call me whatever. Um, you know, we, uh, things keep going in the right direction and, uh, we've got a long way to go still, but, um, we're taking our chances. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone who would call you stupid would be stupid. You're very, very far from that. As I said, you've actually designed molecules and, you know, we, we all have these great phone calls and one of the guys on the phone has got about 50 years experience designing molecules. And you're saying, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And my goodness. And the fact that the intellectual property that's been spun out of this is pretty amazing. So, Mike, you know, I take my hat off to you because, you know, the joy of building a new enterprise in the life sciences is that you will make people's lives better, number one. Number two, you'll create enterprise values. So that means you create jobs. So um, you're bringing joy to people's lives, not just with your axe in your hand, as they might say. So do you feel comfortable addressing some of the inflammatory diseases that we yeah. might be able to impact with? And, and tell people about the, the name of the company and where it comes from. Yeah, so the, the name of the company is called Versicolor Technologies, and it's named after the, you know, the skin condition, Tanea Versicolor or versicolor, as you call it over on your side of the world, John. Well, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, my dear chap, but uh, <laughs> everything sounds posher with an English accent. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. We're experimenting with compounds that, are, that originate naturally in the biome of the skin. We're doing things to them, we're, uh, we're, we're changing them in ways that we feel give added benefit and can improve you know, skin health, uh, reverse the effects of skin aging. And then, um, you know, in sort of the more extreme, extreme circumstances, you know, reverse or, or treat uh, diseases. You know, we, like I said, we weren't expecting to go there. We, we, we were expecting, well, we didn't know what to expect. Actually, it was truly a, a voyage of discovery from the very beginning. We didn't know what we were going to find. All we knew was that we were delving into an area that seemed not to be, or not to really have been explored. The condition Tanea versicolor is a known uh, skin condition. However, uh, you know, we were, we were just approaching it from a different perspective that we, it just wasn't apparent that the questions we were trying to answer had been answered. You know, we, we couldn't find evidence of that. So that was what's really exciting um, to me, you know, to, to try and um, quell our, or, or to uh, quench our curiosities about um, how these 
natural phenomena have, have uh, occurred is doing this makes me feel the same way writing music and writing songs and, and playing concerts made me feel when I was like 15 years old. Well, I have to tell you, years, you know, years ago, I, th- I know I've told you this story. I asked, um, I won't mention his name. He's sadly passed a famous musician. And I asked him uh, how he knew, you know, when he had a hit record on his hands. And he looked at me like I was the biggest twit on the planet and said, if I knew that, Jonathan, that's all I would write. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, your songs are great and your scientific endeavors are great, which begs the question, Mike, your mind's always working. What else uh, uh, are Mike and Anne-Marie plotting next? Well, what's next? Um, you know, we, we're, we're always iterating on, on different ideas. We don't have the time to bring all of them into reality, you know? So we're really kind of just focusing on, uh, you know, on building these two different Versicolor businesses at the moment and raising our kids. You know, we have three children. That's a, a huge job. Hats off to Anne-Marie and all the moms of the world. Like I just, and dads too. It's like being a, being a parent is just, it's the hardest job. And, and, you know, I have a totally different respect for, um, for every parent on earth than I did before having children. So <laughs> that, that must be said. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so hard to achieve success in the world doing anything. Um, it really, really is. And the, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate the, the, the further through life that I get. And um, we have some things that, we're, that we'd love to build, but we just don't have time to build them yet. So, um, you know, I think once we get further down the road with, with, uh, with our endeavors with Versicolor, we're, you know, we're going to launch... Uh, a consumer skincare brand in the beginning of 2023. Uh, and then, um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're developing drugs on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, that takes a long time. Your audience knows how long that takes. So I don't have to really talk about that. You know, we'll just see where we go in the meantime. Um, there, we're always learning new things. And, um, and what I've learned through this process is that I just genuinely love innovation and um i love biotechnology i love what you can do by experimenting and iterating and uh, i i've just it, to to me it's it's the same thing as as making music you know it, it just at least it strikes the same nerve and um I, it just brings it, it 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 brings so much joy into my life um and it keeps me curious about the world it really turns me into a little kid to be honest and um also, the prospect of helping people, I mean, what could be better than that, you know, and being able to help people who have a disease or even even just something that um, that, you know, makes them feel insecure. You know, if there's a way that we can help people with a problem they're having, then, you know. Yeah, well, Mike, I've raised this with you before. When we first talked, you said that you wanted me to help you uh, on this journey. And I said it. I said, in exchange, I'd like you to help me become an international rock star. And you often <laughs> said, what else do you wish for? <laughs> so for all the Incubus fans out there, and for those who haven't been but will become fans, when can they see you live on stage, COVID allowing, of course? Yeah, so we're going to uh, hopefully be back on tour in 2022. Um, we have a few shows in March that are uh, in the U.S. Um, and 
there'll probably be a, a pretty substantial tour in the U.S. during the summer of next year, 2022, <laughs> which will be this year, uh, probably when this podcast comes out. Um, hopefully be returning to international touring as well in 2022. Maybe 2023, we'll, we'll see where, where the pandemic goes. Um, you know, I mean, we had some shows, uh, I think some sold out shows at um, Royal Albert Hall that we haven't gotten to play yet. So uh, hopefully we can play those sometime soon. You know, I miss, I miss being in the UK. I miss traveling. There are people all over the world and that, you know, that are listening to our music and, and, you know, it's having been off the road now for a couple of years. And I, I, I must say, I, I miss it, you know, like I miss going to Australia, miss going to South America, miss going to Asia. Um, you know, the, the fans all over the world are, are just incredible. And uh, I appreciate it now more than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone is, you know, it's that great line. Don't you always seem to know you don't know what you got till it's gone. So, yep. yeah, we all want it back. So I like to ask every guest this one final question. If they had three wishes to make the world a healthier and better place, what would yours be? So a question like this, it's like I could just say, like, you know, if I had three wishes, I could just wish, you know, wish for magical solutions to all problems. But obviously the, the world doesn't work like that. And, um, you know... I wish that um, I wish that that our politics didn't divide us so sharply from each other. It's something that's kind of at the forefront, especially you know here in the U.S. at, at, at the moment. It, it's just um, we all need to get through this together, right? Like th there's a pandemic. You know, we have all there's so much turmoil in the world, and um, and. I hang out with all kinds of different people, like really different people, you know, who have very different political and spiritual beliefs than I do. But I feel like if we started off with our, with the things that, that bring us together and instead of starting with the things that, that separate us, and this is maybe this is just my naive mind at work, but, um, you know, it's a really difficult time for a lot of people and, um, we just need more kindness in the world. And, um, and that's how that's how we're going to get through it. So that's sort of my one my just one wish is everybody knows people that that, you know, politics is like on the tip of their tongue. That's like the thing that they focus on all the time. And um, when you look at the world like that, you're you know, that means you're going to hate a group of people that are probably make up half of at least in you know in the u.s politics is very divided there's like a left and a right and and you know like if if you automatically sort of hate 50 percent of the the people that you're living amongst it's just a recipe for bad stuff you know and um so anyways like it's my long-winded way of of just wanting the world to be a kinder place and i think if 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 we just start off with a little bit more kindness. Um, if you show somebody that you care, uh, they're going to be much more interested in, in, in what you have to say, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question at no, all. You did, I, Mike, I mean, and you know, I, 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 I've talked to many people about this. Um, we, we need leaders. We need at this time, we need social leaders. We need leaders in, in business. We need leaders in medicine that we know that when they say something, we can trust it, right? And trust is built. Someone wise recently told me, 
trust is built. It takes time to build trust. And, you know, what experiences one is having, having. and if we had leaders who had achieved stuff in their lives and applied it to a broader political agenda instead of feathering their own nest, the world would be a better place. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today. Michael Einziger, thank you for the music. Thank you for the science. Thank you for the innovation and the curiosity and the drive. And most importantly, personally, thank you for your friendship. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a, a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I hope we get to do it again sometime. And I hope to see you um, in the new year and hope to see everybody out there, you know, when I hopefully get back on the road next year. Absolutely. Well, we will do that. Well, folks, that's it for today. You can learn much more about Mike Incubus and his various technologies from links that we shall be posting in the show notes. Remember, there are plenty of archive podcasts, and please do subscribe so that you can be sure to get every single new EMG Health podcast. So until next time, please stay safe, stay well, stay curious. Stay curious.